in the days here together of the mindfulness meditation exploration. Like this morning to continue uh, uh, with you, going over what we have covered so far, and then speak more specifically about the uh, uh, extras which uh, uh, enter into uh, today's practice. Can you hear now better? so that um, with uh, the instructions it will give and provide some uh, general indication and flow uh, for you and, and perhaps enable us to see the relationship of one thing to uh, the next. Uh, with, re- with regard to that, in the initial uh, tetrad, that means those first four steps, the primary emphasis was given towards the expression and the experience of uh, the breathing in and out, that's the thread, the line, with uh, that breathing uh, in and out to going to that third step, which is really to experience the body. No image of the body, no picture, no story around in any way, but consciousness its mindful presentation directly experiencing the body in its vibrations in its sensations in its forms in its tingling in its throbbing in its warmth in its comfort in its aching uh, whatever that might be and also as was mentioned to you as well a very uh, important part of this is to reduce the frequency of use of the possessive, my body, or of the identity, I am the body. And therefore to change in the view, in the meditations, and quietly sustaining that, is one of the recognition of the body as a formation of nature, as an expression of organic life, as a composite of uh, elements and to really bring that priority as a fact, not an idea, not an imagination, not an image, as an actuality, that this body is composed of the elements of the nature. When all the images that we have about the body, with all the approvals and disapprovals, likes and dislikes, which obstructs a relationship to the body, gets in the way of it, our meditations and practice of experiencing the body and calming uh, the body brings us much closer to the body in a caring, loving, sensitive, respectful way as an expression of organic life. That's what will happen. That Things are okay as they are, honestly. so that the relationship to the body through the direct experiencing and the calming of the body means that we have the opportunity to listen to the responses uh, there because we're not living in the image 
not living in the image either of the other as well. It's a direct communication. From that there was a further uh, expansion uh, taking place and this remarkable uh, capacity of the human being to feel. We should not take for granted in any way whatsoever that feelings cannot dry up. One has to take great care in human behaviour and responses uh, in life to our feelings and keep closely in touch uh, with them. When feelings start to dry up, when there is detachment from feelings there, very easily we can become cold, we can make uh, decisions about ourselves or others which indicate and show a lack of empathy, a lack of kindness, a lack of uh, warmth, because there is the attachment from experiencing uh, the, the feeling life. And this unfortunately happens in uh, many decision politics and corporate world and institutions and uh, so forth. So here, as, as given the encouragement, is to really experience the range and touch upon the feeling life. And one of them, very important to the human experience, and it might be good for us to change our name from human beings to human feelings as a reminder how important a part that they play for us. And one of those is the experience of happiness. And this happiness, which is loved and acknowledged and uh, uh, appreciated, that when we experience a happiness there, to really be quietly with it, not to try to keep it, not to try to extend it and make it longer, not to go back to the meditation method and technique, not to use it to push ourselves harder to try to get to a deeper and better happiness. So we're not interested in doing anything with it, what we are interested as human beings is to feel the experience of this happiness. And the feeling of that is mentioned uh, with you, the touch of it, it may be quite uh, short-lived. With the experience of the happiness there, it will become more quiet. So there may be a, maybe a strong happiness. As it comes more quiet, its language then is used for joy. And we might ask ourselves, while we are here, about today, what, during the, the flow and the rhythm of the day, contributes to a quiet joy? Sometimes it's just being in the silence and in the stillness, the opportunity to meditate, to be in the company of the like-minded people, to appreciate and acknowledge and recognize all that's taking place around us with the nature and we are part of the natural world and we will always be part of the natural world. We can't be anything else. And the recognition of all, all of that can bring a quiet joy to our being. That joy is felt. That joy is uh, touched upon. And a human being who experiences happiness and joy is 
at the personal level is making a great contribution because one is not making demands on this world. And those who make demands on this world to get what I want is contributing to the climate emergency. And it requires of us in the quiet joy of making things last, the quiet joy of saying no to going, to going on aeroplanes for these uh, holidays, the quiet, quiet joy of not owning a car or the quiet joy of a very small car to make it last, the quiet joy of not using the air conditioning and using it as a practice to experience the body until the body gets used to warm sensations in the body. The, the, the quiet joy of eating very, very simple food day by day. The, the quiet joy of the quiet conversation with the other and quietly listening and connecting with the other. And all of these applications of the experience of quiet joy, which is frequently referred to uh, uh, in the teachings, is our practice. It is our practice here, but equally it's our practice elsewhere. The non-violent uh, teachings which takes place here are lifelong. The teachings that we have here of finding a really ethical way of life and feeling in tune with that and keeping quietly committed to it, it contributes to a deep, quiet joy. It's a remarkable teaching. If we don't live this way, the suffering is going to be imaginable. It's not like a nice idea. Our species and our fellow species reflected in the air, on the ground, under the ground, in the water, also are relying upon us, this species of human beings, to really change the lifestyle. And with the changes that come with it, there will be a happiness and a quiet inner joy taking place which consumerism can never, never replace. And that's why we're here. In the exploration of the sweetness and the joys and the fun and the humour and the connectedness and much, much uh, else, which we cannot buy, it can never be owned, it can never even be kept. Just move with this remarkable uh, rhythm of, of life, and we don't forget that when there is the happiness and the joy has gone quiet, as is pointed out, and it will go quiet, of course it will go quiet, it's not permanent. But in the quietness there, we remember just to experience what we call the formations, Specific here is the heart-mind formations. And look at those formations that we experience. And sometimes we recognize day in and day out as a remarkable human act of intelligence to remember on the daily basis and many times in the day here to relax, to calm, to breathe in and out through relaxing the mental formations. And if we can get some insight and understanding of that about formations, it's such an important word, it might, it might provide us 
with some insight and understanding that every institution, without exception, is a formation. Political, social, global, it's a formation. And these major institutions and minor institutions require of us as dedicated practitioners to look at these institutions to recognize the suffering which comes out of some of them sometimes deliberately there and to look at those and see what is it that needs to change to change the formations there and so as we explore with the inner we see the same principle that the outer is full of formations personal, social global and uh, etc. So our inner work uh, there is really uh, a challenge of course it is but it actually also can provide us with remarkable tools for the outer and mindfulness in this teaching is equally giving priority to the inner and the outer it's not just an, uh, an inner work but we can understand as I mentioned a lot from the inner which is then applied to the outer in that dynamic <clears throat> in the uh, uh, exploration uh, uh, which uh, flow, flows on that this um, uh, word of uh, gladness begins to uh, uh, arise and again the heart gosh, I can't imagine I don't know of any teaching in the world where so much reference is made to what we feel and, and the, fe the feeling that consistently in these uh, in these teachings. The word detachment doesn't appear anywhere in the text. It's uh, strange how that word crept in. So in the exploration of gladness, which has been referred to, one of the obvious, easy expressions of it, that sometimes uh, we may be feeling some problems and difficulties. We've got a story going on in our mind. We've got some anxiety or worry it makes us feel very uncomfortable and agitated and restless and perhaps we're blaming another for because she or he is not doing their job properly or is not keeping the silence or is coming into the hall very late or whatever so agitation and negativity starts all too common uh, with the trees and then one notices it's gone one looks and one is quite still in one of the postures and saw that this was these formations, these agitations or anxiety was, or projections were going on me and I look right now, as a human being it is not there the trouble which I was ma imagining and making a big problem out right now it is not there this is something to be glad about this is what gladness is about it's the gladness in the moment, in the time of the absence of something problematic. And the, the, these teachings keep reminding us in life there is so much precious and wonderful to be glad about. And we all know when having gone through a difficult time and it's finished and it's over, one is glad about it. 
And the Buddha spoke of the preciousness of, and the relief of it, and he gave three examples. And some of you may 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 know may know all three. You've been in hospital. You've been very sick. You've had a bad accident. You spent days or weeks or months in recovery. And then the day comes and the doctor says to you, you're free to go home. And you can walk out of that hospital. The health service has done a a remarkable job. And what would be the feeling inside? It's a feeling of relief. It's a feeling of gladness that the health has come, come back. You've been in debt, another example. You've been in debt for a long time, very long time. And it's been a pressure and a worry, and you've made it a quiet commitment to paying off the debt. And you've just been steady with it, and then the day comes, you're out of debt. And you really feel that all that is gone. It's a relief, and there's a gladness that that debt is out, that debt is over. Another one, maybe fewer of you here. You've been in prison. You've been in prison for a, a long time, or whatever uh, it might be. And the day comes, and you're out. You're out of prison. It's behind you. You've got an opportunity to make a fresh start. And I was going to, for years, more than 20 years or more, to Nablus, meeting with the groups and the Palestinians and the workshops and their suffering. Many, many stories. One had been arrested, spent uh, 27 years in an Israeli political prison. And he said to me, he said to the group, that they came, it was a surprise and a shock to him, the political prison was in the desert, they came to his cell, and he said, you're free. They took him to the front of the prison, opened the big gate, you're free. He had no idea where he was. He didn't know whether he should turn left or right. He was in the desert. But he said, I was free. Do you know what he does now? He's a traffic policeman in Nablus. That's his job. (laughs) Having had no control whatsoever over his life, now he's enjoying. Stop. <laughs> Waving the next. I know. Rather beautiful. What was also precious? No anger. No blame. No thoughts of revenge. The two people I stayed with, Rauda, eight years in an Israeli jail. Non-violent, not violent people. Husband, Ibrahim, 16 years in a political prison. 
come out quietly looking at their situation doing wonderful work in their community but not carrying any revenge we can learn a lot from such people there's some remarkable gods on the earth and we need to listen to their voices and to be glad that such people are on the earth within our own communities in Israel and overseas the communities next door Palestinian communities and of course many 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 others so there's much encouragement to experience as mentioned here the experience of uh, uh, of uh, gladness and then the statement is the statement is made those who are happy experience quite joy in life calming their formations of body and mind it that brings about a capacity to concentrate really important this. the capacity in fact to concentrate on what matters and in our inner peace and uh, happiness I, I find and I'm, I'm sure you do when there's happiness in what we do there is the capacity to concentrate and it doesn't seem like an effort there is a love of that there's a happiness and it doesn't seem like an act of will, willpower my, 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 I spoke to my daughter yesterday for 30 minutes uh, she's as I mentioned to you before a single mother with four kids and yesterday she was at a meeting no the day before yesterday of some 400 people and all of those people except uh, the leaders all of those people are engaged in a variety of forms of public service there and they've got, a, they've got an idea and they initiated the idea and they found various avenues of support for the idea and they're making beautiful and precious things happen and the society and this is some of you could explore and, and maybe campaign for. So in her particular case, using mindfulness to, to help change the high levels of domestic violence, which is about one in four homes in Britain, that in the campaigns to work to change things using mindfulness resources uh, and others, that in that area where she is working, she is provided with a free office for three months, only to pay £25 a month if she wishes after three months. Printing machine there, all that she needs in a building, a new office block, and everybody in that office block is not working for profit because they're working for, uh, it's a non-profit movement and all cooperating and working together to make the change. And then lots of training programmes how to raise funds, how to look after your accounts, how to relate to people that you employ or work with or, co or cooperate. And then 400, and that is just in a population of around one or two million uh, people. Some have raised 5,000 pounds, 10,000 pounds, half a million pounds for their projects. Because people got together and uh, making something happen and one feels a gladness 
and appreciation and recognize but it only happened because people got together and said we're going to make it happen and if one is living a life and saying oh what can you do you can't do anything and all that despair and un unhappiness it, it, it stifles it kills the human spirit and it happens because people make it happen we're going to talk we're going to have a conversation we're going to see what we can what we can do together and cooperate and work together and all of this the happiness and the joy contributes to concentrating the mind as it's stated here to help free the mind up and, and the indication and the proof of it is experience it's clearly coming from experience you won't find this in, the, in, in theory so what can we explore the experiencing of the body the calming of the body the experience, the touching of happiness the quiet joys of life really recognizing them so there's a level of inner peace when those joys go quiet and what do I need to concentrate on life what contributes because all that contributes to the freeing of the mind up and that, so I say the tetrad follows a kind of rhythm it is important though it follows a kind of rhythm it could be on any single day with our mindfulness and with our practice appropriate and necessary on the day to just address one or two so in other words it may be a day where there's a lot of stuff going on whether it's pain in the body or something going on in the mind so then the emphasis would be more on experiencing this contributing to calming this seeing perhaps what is going on perhaps recognizing some change which is needed and one stay is quietly committed to that and it wouldn't be appropriate and maybe not even possible to say oh I will experience this and I will then develop to that and develop to that so every single line might be the one which is really important for us including the first one of just breathing in and breathing out breathing in and breathing out and that being the anchor the steadying point uh, for us and then with the next, the fourth tetrad, nearly finished, hang in. There's two themes which are uh, uh, important. One is impermanence and the other is fading away. I'd just like to take a little time with you with uh, this, a few minutes. Um, with impermanence, and most people um, know uh, here about the teachings of, Im of impermanence. The actual word is anicca, anicca, not permanent. And it's not to say we live in a world which is moment to moment to moment to moment. Actually, that word doesn't appear. It's not a teaching which says, oh, try to go so deep you go into subatomic particles. The Pali word is kalapa. There's no statement of this in the Buddha going to collapse subatomic particles uh, no teaching just going moment to moment to moment not, not in the teaching no. 
But what's more important than that, that we need to recognize in our life that life, because it has a movement to it, those things in life which we connect with are subject to change. Therefore, they have an arising, staying and passing. And it might be, while here, that in the reflection, and it may just come to you quite noticeably, a fear. And the fear arises. And with fear, as with everything else, it's generally speaking something to do with time. In other words, you fear something will stop, it ends. You fear something will start, or you fear something will stay. And the human being, to know herself or himself, is to take a deep interest in this, of the many phenomena of fear. Some will say, I don't say, the teachings don't say, oh, we need fear. No, we don't. Any more than we need a migraine. We don't need fear. We need clarity. Fear makes us push from the past, forces us into making many unhealthy, unwise, unskillful decisions born out of the fear. When clarity and the heart is what contributes. So, to cut it to the bone here, to notice today there, how is our relationship to change? Can we, are we, are there areas where we're clinging, holding on to something, and that holding on shows in the clinging and holding fear. Fear will never be, a f- never be far away from clinging and holding. What am I clinging and holding on to in life? Who am I clinging and holding on to in, in life? The fear may be hooked or linked in. And therefore the core question to be with the movement of life and change is in that relationship to the king holding what is a really fresh way to look at anything because the thought and the fear the fear depends upon the way you think the fear depends upon the way you think about something And if there is a change in the way we look at it, reflect or think about it, the fear will, next line, will fade away. Fear requires for its maintenance thought. Its its continuity is dependent on thinking. So there may be, let's say, the contraction in the body, there may be some uh, tension and we use the label fear sometimes and just in those moments 
rather than buy into the fear, which seems very real there, to see if there is another way to interpret about anything. We had a exchange yesterday evening with the inquiry and death got touched on. They asked in Britain once, they did one of these opinion polls, social surveys, or whatever they call them. What is your greatest fear? And the greatest fear, apparently, according to the thousand people who were interviewed, is public speaking. So some of us seem odd. And the second biggest fear is death. <laughs> so public speaking is worse than death. Extraordinary <laughs> phenomena. What is it about us that we have become so afraid? of what other people might think of us. That sitting in front of a group of people, that that triggers something for some people. But we're just humans. We get up in the morning, we have a piss, brush our teeth, have some porridge, sit on the cushion, What are we afraid of? (laughs) And sometimes we get the imagination well, other people must be thinking a lot about me, whoever the me is in the room. I bet they're not. Got more important things to think about. So lots of projections and imaginations are all going on in this strange world of fear of each other. And in true time-honoured way of the teaching, it is to see the emptiness of it. To see the emptiness of fear, the emptiness of the ego, the emptiness of comparing, the emptiness of projecting on it to other people the emptiness of living in the body image, the emptiness of I, me, and my. And then things can just quietly fade away. One person rather sweetly yesterday used just fading away. Sometimes our happiness just fades away. Why not? Sometimes our joy fades away. Sometimes our inner peace fades away. Sometimes our uh, our gladness fades away. And if we're getting used to this fading away, we say, yeah, of course, this is life. Our life quietly fades away. Why not? And in all of that, Seeing a change, being with it, allowing things to fade away, allowing the fresh to enter. There. We are living true to the way life is. 
We are living true to the way it is. We didn't ask for it to be like this, but it is. Okay, let's explore it. Take the problem out of it. All of it. Enough. Um, thanks for listening. So uh, this time let's have um, 20 minutes of uh, sitting posture.